Yeah, I know. I'm not very creative. Well, you should I'm have sorry. Called me. <laughs> when I looked at some of those other titles, I thought, oh my gosh, you can tell I'm the research queen and not anything else. You Listen, know? you've got me. I sit very close to you in the office. You could have just called me and said, you know, I need something, but that's fine. I just wanted to do something on my own for once. But <laughs> anyway. Hello and welcome to the Pending Approval Podcast, a talk show highlighting the ups, the downs and those complete head fuck moments of the business world. I'm your host for the show, Glenda Wynyard. Producer G is here with me again. Hey, G. Yet again, another day, another podcast, as we always say. G, we're going global this week. Are we? That's not the 12th time I've heard that this morning. Oh, we're doing an international live crossover. It's our first one. A live crossover. Look at us go. I feel like we're on the news. I'm excited. So am I. I don't, I don't really know how to feel. I feel like our accents are really going to come out in this one. I know it will. But you know what, G, do you think technical whiz Pat has everything under control? I really hope so. I hope you're up for it, Pat. So, Dubs, tell our listeners, why are we crossing to the big UK today? Well, you tell me, G, what you think about this. Do you think a company's sustainability or climate change initiatives marry with their marketing's sales-based agenda? You know what? I do. Do you? I do. Oh, no. No? Oh, I disagree with you. Oh, Well, I guess environmental and, you know, all of their initiatives, that really comes into play when people are considering why they should purchase with a brand. Yeah, but do they get it across to the customer? Oh, no. I don't think they do. No, That's what I'm saying. That just doesn't work. They don't talk about it enough. They're missing it. They're missing the whole point of the fact. So anyway, I and other leaders all tend to agree on this matter in the advertising world. That's good. You agree on something. Global, of course. Global, global. Global, of course. Yeah. So because we're a member of the, or the media precinct is a member of the world's largest independent agency network, the Network One, and they've been publishing a series on uh, this very topic. So it's thought leadership pieces covering the sustainability agenda. And today, over in the UK is Martin Rich, and he's the co-founder for Future Fit Foundation. And he is the man that has actually gone and and read all these essays. He's an expert on the subject, and we are very, very lucky to have him to talk to us about this very complex subject. We are, and it's such an important topic that we are talking about today and something that's very close to my heart, as you know, GW, something I'm very passionate about. Um, You mentioned that you're a contributor. I know. We did a big piece of research at the Media Precinct. We're very proud of it. But actually, before we get into that, because we'll talk about that later, hello, Martin. Welcome to Pending Approval. How are you? Good morning or good evening to you guys. I'm very well, thank you. And uh, it's a complete privilege. I didn't know I was your first international crossover it's, I mean, it's, it's all downhill for you from here, really. <laughs> I know, but, but that's, I think it's so fantastic. I think it's amazing what technology it's, can do in this COVID world. Isn't it brilliant? Here we are on opposite sides of the world, op- opposite ends of the day. Um, and, uh, well, I guess the, uh, the listeners will only see this as, a, as, or hear this as an audio cast. I can see both of you clear as day. And here we are having this conversation. The technology is, is amazing. Thank goodness this pandemic didn't come along maybe 10 years ago when I just don't think we'd have been able to do these types of things. I don't think we would have survived, would we? We'd all be back in the caves hunting hunting and <laughs> gathering and, yeah. you know, doing whatever you That's have pretty, to do to survive. pretty much daily life over here in the UK these days. I mean, you know. <laughs> so how is it going in the UK? Uh, not, not too bad. Uh, not too badly, thanks. We've um, The vaccinations have gone very, very well. I think that's that's something we've got really right in the country. Um, not entirely sure we've got much else right, but that that one we have, I think we've got over 70, 80% now have had at least one vaccination, getting close on 90 for two, which is is very, very good. Um, the numbers are still very high of, of um, cases and, and deaths compared to what you folks have had, but feels like it's under control. We've opened everything up now. So I think we're just sort of all waiting to to see, really. I mean, that's the problem, right? Nobody really knows what this virus is going to do. So one step at a time, but yeah, we're, we're, we're getting by, we're getting by. We can only hope that Australia follows in your footsteps very shortly. Yeah, I do, mm. do with the vaccines. I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You, you guys, I mean, we've been vaccinating one point like half a million a day. So you, 
you should all be done in about two weeks. <laughs> well, we should be, shouldn't we? But we, we're, we're lucky if we get half a million in a week. Hey, in the studio, we're fully vaxxed Yeah, today. we're all fully vaxxed here. Excellent. Good stuff. Yep, feeling good about it. You know, Australia's a bit bigger, right? I mean, a little bit. Just tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Tiny bit. But it is amazing, the, a lot of the uh, over here, it's the shutdown. So we're in full shutdown mm. in Sydney again. So that right. lockdown mentality is that Melbourne's about to hit another lockdown, apparently. So they're, it's a bit of they a do work. They do work. I, I saw in the press people were getting a bit annoyed about it, but you know what? They really do work. So I find it's the um, timeline and it's not knowing how long you're going to be in lockdown right. for that really upsets most clients or, or most organisations. The first time round, there was a lot of financial support. This time, there's none. And or well, there's very right. little that you actually have access to. So it's not working uh, quite as well. And you're seeing a lot of those companies that struggled through the first, you know, first few lockdowns are also now struggling through these ones. So right. yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare. That's tough. Yeah, mm. very tough at the moment for many of them. But talking about tough, you've got a really tough connection to Australia too, I hear. <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, so I... I... Married a true blue Aussie. Um, her um, family lineage traces apparently right back to the the earliest Poms, the earliest prisoners of Millbank, uh, and <laughs> her great 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 whatever it is uh, grandfather was um, uh, was arrested in the UK for uh, stealing apparently 150 pounds worth of silk bales, which back then was a huge amount of money and was an incredibly lucky guy. Uh, not to go straight to the gallows, but they they stuck him on the ship uh, and sent him sent him down under where he did his time. And then I believe that you you basically got released and given a patch of land and told to make your life. And he married a free settling woman uh, who apparently travelled down of her own accord. And we we don't know anything about her, but it sounds fascinating. I mean, a lady on her own travelling all of that way. You kind of wonder what her backstory must have been. Yeah, what was she doing um, over there? I know, exactly, right? What was she getting away from? One for the history books. We're going to have to do that, one of those DNA. Oh, yeah, you'll have to go into Ancestry and and do the whole DNA thing. I I believe another member of the extended family has kind of done that, which is why they know the history that we've we've got. But she's sort of lost in the mists of time, unfortunately. So, uh, but yeah, fascinating um, background. And uh, so, yeah, Sydney's a, a home from home. For me, been been there. I uh, had the pleasure of being there on a uh, a few occasions, and um, love the place. So it's it's again just great to be doing this with you here. Well, um, when you're back next time, we'll have to have you on in in real life. In real life, whenever that happens wow. again, you'll have to come Fantastic. and visit us. Done. Like, how bad would that be? Like, it would be so cool when we can actually <laughs> open up borders. We love London yeah. Town too, so you know you yeah. haven't got it on your own. We might do a podcast over there. You I, know, who knows? Do it. I, do I, it. Come, I think come, come here. We do it from my garden. How about that? Oh, Absolutely. Great. Pat's coming too. We were just talking about a garden tour. Now, Martin, we're both part of mm. the Network One Sustainability Development Group. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a background on that group and what its agenda is? Sure. So the um, this all sort of came a, a few threads coming together. Um, the the Network One founders and and team were becoming more and more aware of the sustainability agenda and its its importance to the members in their network. And obviously, all of their clients are all talking about sustainability and ESG, environmental social governance issues, and all of this sort of stuff. And they were finding more and more need to understand that issue as much as anything. So there's sort of the, the personal, oh, I'm quite interested in environmental or social things. And then there was the whole, our clients are asking about this. We've got to uh, understand it more. So they were beginning to think about that. And then through a, a happy connection, I got introduced to them. We got, we got talking. Uh, I then gave a presentation, just a, a general presentation to the, to the whole of their, their member network on Future Fit Foundation and what we're doing in the sustainability space. And sort of one thing led to another, and uh, a number of the, the network members in particular put their hands up and said, this is great, we really want to be involved in this. And out of that came this sustainable uh, sustainability development group. And then we said, okay, well, now we're all together, what are we, what are we actually going to do? Um, and being sort of, you know, creative agency types, the, the first thing that, that came out was, well, let's, let's just do a series of things about what we know and what we can share and what we can, we can tell people. 
and so this um, series of, of, of articles was was dreamt up. A number of people, including your good self, Glenda, put, put their hand up and said, sure, we'll do an article. And uh, because I'm not in that world, uh, it fell to me to then sort of just try and thread them all uh, together, which was actually kind of the easy job in a way. I just had to read them all and then come up with some loose threads as to how they all linked, which we did. And there, uh, I think we're about halfway through publishing them now. So it's very exciting. It is very exciting. Now, Martin, you talk about uh, future fit. What is FutureFit and how did you get to be there? So can you give us a bit of a background on yourself? So FutureFit Foundation's uh, a UK-based nonprofit that I co-founded about eight years ago now. Uh, and we uh, exist to show companies how to be truly sustainable and to show investors how to understand the impacts of their portfolios, i.e. what is the uh, collective impact, good and bad, of the companies that they're invested in so they can hopefully try and steer their money more towards the good and away from the bad. Um, my background is I'm uh, an engineer by training. Uh, and then like all good engineers, I ended up in the city of London uh, working in the financial derivative markets. Uh, so I worked for UBS and JP Morgan and HSBC for 13 years uh, on the on various trading floors. And that was, that was all very good fun, learning uh, how the financial system works and, and occasionally doesn't work. <laughs> Um, and in 2009, I decided to, to leave that area and went into the social impact investment world, uh, which was all about raising capital for social enterprises, charities and enterprises where a social purpose is at the very heart of what they're doing, working on things like social impact bonds uh, that you might have heard of. Um, certainly one or two of those have, have been done now in, in Australia. So that sort of took me from one extreme to the other. On one end, thinking you know purely about the, the financial mechanics. On the other end, thinking far more about the social impacts. And I sort of wanted to bring those two together and recognize that if we were to really tackle the big issues of climate change, social injustice, all of these things, which you'll be familiar with, sadly, um, we, we really have to sort of you know turn the Titanic, as it were. Um, we, we have to change the whole system. And for me, what we were, were lacking, and for my co-founder, what we were lacking were, were clear signs as to what it actually meant to transform your business to be truly sustainable. How do you actually exist within the planetary boundaries, the societal boundaries, so that you are only aiding and helping society and being financially uh, successful because of that, rather than most businesses today, which are financially successful despite all of the harm that they're causing. So we wanted to sort of turn that... Uh, pyramid upside down, if you like. So in a nutshell, that's what FutureFit's about. Amazing. And how did you get to a space where you found marketing? Because I think marrying sustainability and marketing, how, how would you even describe that? It feels like such a, a tenuous link. But when you think about it, it's really important. It's, it's incredibly important right now. Um, you barely see uh, an advert or, or, or read a piece of, of news which doesn't have something about a sustainability-linked issue in there somewhere, be it carbon footprint or be it maybe um, equality, diversity and inclusion issues or something like that. Right? There's nearly everything now. And the whole of marketing communications seems to have looped around back to values. Mm -hmm. it seems to be such a critical thing these days to be linking uh, you know, with the values of your, your clients uh, in whatever industry you're in. And I think one of the, for me, one of the huge frustrations at the moment is the amount of, of greenwashing uh, or green wishing, as I heard somebody call it the other day, <laughs> uh, that's going on out there. And there's so much, um, so, so thin a veneer on, on most of these companies and what they're, they're going out there. I mean, everybody at the moment is signing up to a net zero policy and saying, oh, we'll, we'll be net zero by 2030, 2040, which on the, on the surface sounds like brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Great. All of these companies are going to go net zero until you realize that basically most of them have absolutely no idea how they're going to do it. Those who've got any idea think they're just going to plant trees and get out of it. Somebody told me the other day, I've not checked the statistic, but somebody told me that one of the big oil majors uh, in Europe if they were to achieve their net zero pledge, would have to replant 20% of the available land in the world. Wow, that's incredible. So 
that's going to work well, isn't it? <laughs> um, and, you know, Sounds so you've achievable. got all, all of these chief execs sort of buying these badges and claiming they're going to do all these things with zero idea. And I think to me, um, bring it back to your question on the, the you know, marketing and the, and the messaging needs to be truthful. Um, and I think one of the good things these days is, you know, social media and other things like that really won't let you get away too long with with greenwashing and, mm. and all the rest of it. Um, or at least you, you run the risk of being held to account at some point, which yeah. is a good thing. So, you know, for me, it's about differentiating those who are truly doing something from those who are just talking about it because they think it's the thing to do. We need to move very, very quickly. The world really is in a lot of trouble. Uh, people don't realize anything like how serious the issues are. We're not moving anything like quickly enough. So part of um, our connection into this space is to try and at least give some help to those who, who are truly leading so that we can try and shine more of a spotlight on them. And you make a really good point because I always say to marketers, people aren't going to give up price and convenience. You know, right. so they really aren't. They've, they've been well trained in that field. And so what we need to do is actually find a way to help them through that and navigate, you know, and help those companies that are offering those services. But look, let's get back to the network one and, and mm. these 12 contributors, and which I'm one. But I look at these essays and I looked at the people that we were like this. We were all Skyping and, you know, meeting up through video meetings and I actually found it quite incredible how diverse they were and the mm. and the different angles that everybody came in on. They were very different, weren't they, and at very different phases. Like some people were just starting out in their own journeys and others are, are really quite progressive in the subject. Mm -hmm. Did you find that? Totally. Um, and, you know, that, that's sort of part of the, the fun in a way of, of working in this space is you, you do have that complete spectrum and it's, to me, part of it is uh, the journey is, is about trying to get people moving in, in the right direction, in the same direction, um, and, and learning from those who've already gone before and enabling them to sort of find those. It's not like there's one right answer as such, and you know, everybody must be uh, doing exactly the same thing. So those diverse perspectives are incredibly helpful but at the same time there's there's a lot of people who've journeyed along various pathways here so the more we can help people connect with like-minded folks say, oh, okay yeah you've you've already you know you're already halfway up the mountain you've already plotted a route up to there let me follow that up rather than necessarily having to sort of come up with all of their own ideas but sort of blending that with as you say those you know diverse opinions and new ways of doing things and new ideas coming up is 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 all part of the the fun really how do you actually do that, Martin? Like, it, it sounds like a really easy thing to do. It sounds like a really <laughs> easy way to share information and, you know, all huddle around and get connected. But how does one actually go out to market and say, I really am at the start of my journey and I need some help versus mm. I'm at the end of my journey and I can help you? That's a great question. I mean, it's communication, isn't it? It's always the way. It doesn't matter what type of an entity you're in or what type of group you're in. It, it's about that um, trying to connect people up. And what we're doing in that space, and what this uh, the work here with with the network one is is partly about, is just trying to to create that that base of resource. How do you connect people? And again, the, the power of technology is fantastic for that and the ability to bring people together from all four corners of the world and get us all together and, and chatting, getting blogs out there, getting podcasts like this one mm -hmm. out there, just getting all of these different pieces. Um, there's so much information these days, which, which is, is a good thing and, and a bad thing then, right? Because it's yeah. like, how do you then wheedle through all the, um, the bad to find the good even within that? But... I think more and more the sector as a whole, as in the sustainability sector as a whole, is, is very good at getting huge amounts of, of information out there. That's certainly what, what we try to do is build communities around the world. So we're building a future fit community in Australia in the same way that we're building one in New Zealand and here in the UK and elsewhere. Um, and it's all about connecting those folks together and saying, okay, here's for us, here's the destination, here's what you're trying to do, here's what you, here's what you need to get to. What resources do you need to help you 
along that way? That's a huge, huge question. Um, but I think it, it, yeah, it's connectivity and it's putting um, resources and information like that out there so that people can plug in and say, okay, that's where I am on my journey. You were at this stage. What, what did you learn at that point? So that's going to help me take that next step and that next step. And I think just to be nobody's at the end of their journey yet. Hmm. Um, so I think there are people who are further on who are able to help, but nobody is at the end of the journey. Hmm. So Duncan Murray Clark, he's from the Ad Plane, and then you've got um, who was it? Uh, Gregor Blatch from We Do Communications, and they both really started at the beginning, didn't they? They both started at the beginning of the yep. journey. This is what we're doing in our office now, or we're about to do in our office. I found yes. that really, I found that really interesting. I thought that they were very brave coming out and saying, "Look, we're at the beginning." Yeah, I loved uh, Duncan's, uh, you know, cheeky borrowing of, a, mm. of a, uh, another slogan of just just do it. And, and he's right. I think, you know, in, in this um, space, it's very easy to get just overwhelmed by everything. There's, there are so many issues, so many things and you know, my carbon footprint and how I work with my suppliers and how I look after my staff and everything's sort of changing constantly and it's quite easy to just throw your hands up in the air and say well there's just too much and by the way I'm tiny and if you know if I make a difference it doesn't matter because these big companies are carrying on blah 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 so I think you know Duncan just saying look just forget that just do it just get on with it just do something uh is better than doing nothing and I you know completely agree with that so I think that sort of call to arms was great it was an obvious place for the for the whole um, series to 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 start and uh, Gregor's sort of list of 10 just simple things to do um, was was a great way of them putting that into action and saying okay you might not be a sustainability expert you might not know how to do everything but do these basic things try and put um, your office onto renewable energy um, try and get to zero waste encourage your staff to be able to reduce their carbon footprints etc cetera, etc cetera. start with things like that and then actually you're empowering the team to start thinking about, well, what else could we do? And I think that's when ideas start to pop up and then people think, oh, this is on, this is on the radar screen. So I'll, I'll stick my hand up and say, hey, you know, what, what about this? Could we try that? Um, and then it you know, starts to get into the heart of things, which is, do we really want to work with that client? Do we really want to be putting that messaging out there? Are we comfortable doing that? Do we, how do we want to start thinking about what we're telling the world through our work. And, you know, for me, that's where um, the whole sort of agency, I mean, this is where it gets tricky, right? The rubber hits the road is um, it's all, it's a good thing to be going to hundred percent renewable energy. It's a good thing to be going to zero waste, but in a relatively small, you know, single office of 10, 20, 30, 50 people, Yes, that's important, but it's a relatively small impact versus actually what, what are you telling the world on behalf of your clients? Mm. That's where the huge impact is. I really and love that's, that's tough. I love your thinking with this because it starts with empowering your staff and then it moves into how you can create a um almost like an economic resource where you can start to think about your values and then how those values go into the clients that you select and the work that you produce and the outputs that you have as people and that kind of shared economy that you then produce is such a great thing to think about um, and such a great thing to put out there into the world and say that you actually stand for something and you're actually living by it, which is something that, you know, when, when you spoke before about uh, marketers talking about, you know, being green friendly and um, diverse and that sort of thing when they're actually not, it really kind of hits home because that's, it's the same if we're saying to our staff, we want you to be, um, we want you to reduce your waste or we want you to be kind of free thinkers and empower yourselves into how you can do better for the environment and for the planet. Um, yeah, it's actually really inspiring to think about that. Well, it's quite interesting because our staff are the ones that actually initiated reduced garbage in the office. Yeah. So exactly. our, our staff took away all the garbage bins. Like we have Brilliant. very few garbage bins in the office. They basically said we're just going to reduce waste and that's what we did. And right. it's they, you know, but they, they did it. It's yeah. empowering. Yeah, you it know? is empowering. And, and it, it's something that I feel like doesn't have to start from the top. 
you know, it, it's it's For something sure. that anyone can really get involved in and take the stand and say, I want to stop generating waste or I want us to have a printer limit where we only have 10 pages that we print a week, you know, and, and that's something that anyone can kind of get on board with and chat with their leadership team and see how they can develop that out further. Gregor actually pushed me to to opening up a new account with a sustainable bank because, you know. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, and because I've been meaning to do it for ages. We work uh, hugely in the not-for-profit uh, sector and uh, it's a big thing for us. So I was meaning to do it and I hadn't done it for ages, for years actually. And so when he made that suggestion in his essay, I was like, I have to do it. It's the time is to do it and I need to get get my A into G and actually do it. And that's what we did. Yeah, Amazing. so it's great. And that's, you know, that's another really relatively straightforward one to do with, with the bank. And, uh, you know, as, as an ex-banker, this is one I push people on all the time. And and even though actually in the background, sadly, you know, you ended up still connected into the into the big bad system. The fact is you're making the statement by moving your account away from bank X to bank Y. Mm. And you're saying, no, these things matter to me. I want to be with somebody who is primarily trying to fund things which are making the world a better place. And and that's that's the trick here, right? The the more that we we all move in this direction then the, the more we've got a chance of actually making it. I mean, back to, to, to G's comment earlier was, uh, you know, people are, are wired into, you buy on price. Um, but the fact that there are sustainable T-shirts and non-sustainable T-shirts or, you know, insert whatever word you want, into uh, available is, is kind of crazy. But mm. we've created this system where all of the stuff that we produce or so much of it is just unsustainable. Mm. So by definition, we have an unsustainable economy on a finite planet. Yeah, exactly. You don't need a degree in mathematics to work out that can't last very long. Um, and, that, and that's the problem. So absolutely, anybody listening to this, it doesn't matter whether you're the, the, the boss or the, or the most junior person in the office, you can start to make a little bit of a difference, get some folks on board, get them to say, yeah, this is what we want to be doing. And eventually, you know, you're going to be knocking on the door of, of management and saying that this is what we are doing. Um, and, you know, there won't be many who, who won't actually come with you and see that if this is empowering the staff, if this is making it a better place to work, what, what leadership doesn't want a committed, engaged team. So anything like that you can do. And then that starts to have that reverse sort of infiltration that we were just talking about. Exactly. When it comes to uh, different people who feel like they're well advanced or understand their sustainability journey, I was actually stunned by uh, Jane McDade and Thinkhouse's marketing agency that talked about only 10% of marketers claiming to be well advanced in their sustainability journey. And when I think about us and our agency, I think about how at the front of our minds always is what we're putting out into the universe and how we're helping the world and helping different people out there. Um, and it's so crazy to me that only 10% of people are understanding of, of that journey. And I, I don't know, am I the only one that's really alarmed by the statistic? No, I was really stunned as well. Really stunned. And Martin, you're better positioned than we are. We, we're only dealing with our finite volume of clients, but who all operate in this this kind of space. Um, so we we're looking at it going through our eyes, going, my gosh, but you're obviously looking at it from a very different perspective. You would also perspective. be thinking, oh my gosh, what are these people doing? <laughs> um, I you know what? I was not surprised by that statistic. See, that's I'm, I'm sad. constantly that's sad saddened. to me that you weren't surprised. No, because uh, why really, why would that industry be all that much different to any other industry in this regard? And I think this is, this is one of the, the big problems. I think awareness of these issues is, is definitely you know, way higher than, it, than it's ever been. Understanding of these issues is quite a long way back from that. Um, but this isn't stuff that people are taught in their day jobs. It wasn't stuff that they were particularly taught at, at school. They're picking up a, a lot of what they know through the press, which is always concerning. Dangerous. Um, but th this is part of the challenge. People have a day job and that might be a grossly unsustainable day job, but you know, they 
they're, they're not bad people. They're not doing it for the wrong reason. It's a job. It's something that hopefully they're quite good at. Hopefully they, they enjoy and, you know, they're paying the mortgage and they're uh, buying food for their families and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it, it's that, that sort of treadmill of, of just so many people who are, are just going through, uh, you know, daily life, daily job. And, and this is not part of what's ever been in the program of things that they are doing. So it actually isn't surprising. Mm. on that basis that only in some ways you could argue it is surprising that 10% <laughs> are, are aware of these issues you know so many people are oh yeah no, that, that is important climate change yeah it is important I'd love to have more time to look at that they don't have more time there's no time built into their schedule at work to go and study these things they get home and they've got you know families or kids or whatever it is to be getting on with so I think to just sort of miraculously expect that people understand these these things um, is is you know it's, it's difficult, and I think this is is part of. Um, and I know we'll, we'll come on to one of the essays, which so I don't want to jump too far ahead. But um, you know, I think one of the the great things of um, the next generations coming through is that they are actually more aware of these things. They have mm. been taught more about these things obviously with you know social media and internet and all of that stuff now just being utterly second nature to them got access to information um that well glenda you and i you didn't have producer g looks looks a bit younger so maybe she did but uh um thank you, but, thank you. Uh, you're, you're welcome um be nice to the producer always yep, exactly. um but but you know there's this information is is there now they are more aware of it now i'm not a complete gen z's will will millennials will save us uh believer necessarily that they have as many problems in in their generation as, as older ones but they do have greater awareness a knowledge of this they are looking for that more in the organizations they're going into so i think as we're seeing that intergenerational shift within business uh and actually globally agenda shift within um certainly you know mid to senior leadership within businesses i think all of those are positive indicators nudging us in the right direction and we'll start to absolutely see that sort of 10 percent figure rise but if we're going to make a difference within business we've got to put it into the agenda of a job so we have to be thinking about how do we make your job a sustainable job i.e you are thinking about the sustainability impacts of everything you are doing so it doesn't matter where in the organization you are you are thinking about all of those key issues in that little microcosm you operate in mm. and if we can shift to that sort of a mindset and again, it's back to, you know, waste and resources and design of products and where you're sourcing your materials and what those materials are and the recyclability of those. And then, 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 then. And, and if everybody along the chain is thinking in that way, you know, we can start to make a difference. But right now, that is just not embedded in most people's jobs. Yeah. No. So it doesn't surprise me that that's the figure in the marketing and advertising world. And I guess, you know, it, it really can, like you say, start with anyone because we are in yes. that unsustainable economy. So if you're a designer, you can start using um, recyclable material or, you know, different stocks of paper when you're looking at a print magazine or a print ad, for example, or even if you're an events uh, coordinator, you can look mm. at recyclable cutlery. You know, there's all those sorts of things that it, it sounds like something that, you know, is such a minuscule addition, but everyone has to start somewhere. Exactly. And I think, you know, sustainable events is something with a, a few connections we've got over here. We've, we've started looking at um, some of the uh, internationally famous musicians are starting to say, how could we do uh, a much more sustainable tool. I mean, Chris Martin of Coldplay is one of the folks who's been, you know, extremely um, outspoken advocate about, you know, effectively, well, we're not going on tour until we can figure out how to do this better. Yeah. That's the type of thinking, mm. you know, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody famous like that. It could be a, a, a car launch or, a, quite frankly, a far more boring thing than that. But it, <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? It's, it's how are you doing that thing? And if, Again, we've got into this world of, uh, well, we just produce this stuff without thinking about it. We use it for five minutes at that event, and then effectively it ends up in, in landfill. Um, and that, you know, that's not the, the whole issue by any means, but that's one of the ways to start thinking about things. Mm. And we need governments to be more fluid too, to be frank, don't we? We, we really <laughs> do. Like we've got a situation over here where we don't have hydrogen pumps everywhere. They have very, right. They're very, very limited. They're focused on one sort of area 
in one part of the country. And as a mm. trial, the car companies have had to gift the cars to that local government in order to actually get that trial established. What on earth are we thinking? Like, why aren't we as a as a government? Sorry, actually, gov- government and thinking. Government and thinking. <laughs> well, I know it sounds it sounds insane, but really, you know, we do need leadership across the board because the average person will say to you, "We don't expect the government to be the only answers. We don't expect corporates to have the only answers. We're prepared to chip in and help as well, but we just don't know what to do." So. I find it really interesting when there's no leadership with government and it just irritates me. We could do an entire another podcast on the, the challenges oh, of, yeah. of governments around the world and, and ours is a joke at the moment. I but, think, you think we're um, preaching to the choir right now, aren't we? We are preaching <laughs> I think, to I think the we choir. probably are. But are you right? Leadership is needed. We don't have that. Mm. And and that that is, very briefly, that that is just one of the, the huge challenges we actually face. And again, I actually, it's, it's back to... Slightly producer G's comment is like we don't if we wait for the leadership we won't get anywhere. So yeah. actually, in a way, we have to look at, at the state as being a similar position. If we're waiting for the the prime ministers and the CEOs of the country, as it were, to, to move, then we're we're, we're all screwed. Uh, actually, we all have to start making a difference, mm. uh, you know, at the ground level where we are, and try and force those changes through because we know what some of these solutions need to look like. We know, it was a great report uh, produced fairly recently by a UK NGO called Carbon Tracker, who, who some of the listeners might have uh, come across, who, who basically have shown how it is economically viable with today's technology to power the world on a distributed basis using solar and wind energy alone. And every country, Australia included, has more than, in fact, you guys do pretty well because oddly it's fairly sunny down there, I've heard. Uh, <laughs> you, you can absolutely produce far more energy than you need. Mm. It's uh, an order of magnitude and then some more that is available on a daily basis to the world economically and distributed than we actually use. So when mm. people say, oh, but we'll be using more power, so it doesn't matter. We can get it from just solar and wind. And that's yeah. before we think about all the other sources. We know how to do that. Our global governments picking up a document like that and saying, fantastic, here's, here's the answer. Let's go and do it. No, of course they're not. All right, I'm excited. Let's go campaign for it. Come on. I know. Do it. Get, well, you're not allowed to at the moment. No. We'll, we'll as just soon as you can, go outside. We'll get billboards and, and things, you know. Yeah. That's what yeah. we'll do. Yeah. Now, Emma Craigie, she led her essay off as well about um, that sustainability means so many different things to so many different people. Mm. And I think that's what you're you're also referring to within organisations. You know, the people on different stages, people at different, um, you know, parts of the business may be thinking it, you know, different ways of, of thinking type of, of scenario. And I just look at what she was asking. I also look at Amanda Pell-Smith, you know, amazing woman and she asks a lot of important questions of a lot of these organizations too and of people you know she really did 100 percent. and i think you know this whole you know language is is so important and i think um you know this comes back to why why is it important for your world to to be getting this right if we are talking across purposes the worst thing i think at the moment is the number of products, be they widgets or, or be they financial products, that are labelled as responsible, sustainable, social, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and again, your your average man or woman in the street just doesn't have time to look into the details of exactly what does that logo mean or that word mean, or quite often the word doesn't mean anything. It's just the marketers just stuck it on a on a package. Um, the people sort of think they're doing a good thing, but actually they're not because there wasn't really any any weight behind that that wording. Um, and we're seeing here in in Europe, there's legislation coming through now on um, well, let's say Europe, the thing that Britain used to belong to. There's a whole other story. We won't go there either. But um, legislation coming through saying if you're going to be marketing investment funds as um, effectively was responsible as that uh, there's a whole labeling system coming through now that says you have to be doing this in the background else you cannot call it that yeah well, and that's really good now it's legislation it's clunky it's not perfect but it's it's great mm. that it's stopping people again doing that greenwashing 
And I think these are the points that Emma and Amanda, to, to a degree, were sort of trying to get at, is, is language is incredibly important. And it's so easy to missell people on that. Oh, hey, this is a lovely, fluffy thing. And actually, it's no different to the one you were buying before. It's incredibly important. And this is then back to that you as, as, as agencies working with, are you happy putting something out there that you know really is misleading people. Well, people are so mm. trusting these days as well, you know, because they don't have the time, they don't really? have the energy, they don't have the effort to look into mm. if it is actually a sustainable product or mm. if it is actually an ethical product. And oh. so they're trusting in the way that they trust that we as marketers, as agency people are doing oh. our due diligence and saying that it's actually an ethical That's product true. when it might not be. So we have a, a very large supermarket chain over here that goes out and talks mm about their sales stall uh, free pork because they've decided that if a sow is in a stall for three days or less, then it's not classified as being held in a sow stall. So that greenwashing there is just like crazy. You but know what I mean? But no one would but have the time. They, they wouldn't no. have the time no. or the effort or the care factor to really look into it. They would just take on whatever supermarket that is, we're not going to bash them today. No. Um, and <laughs> they would just a- agree and accept that what they're saying is the truth because why else? Why would you not? Mm. But then that goes back to the 10% figure that you quoted earlier. Absolutely. Only, mm. only 10% of folks working in that space are, are even aware of these issues. So then it's... So- it's how, actually, how can they possibly have done that due diligence? Yeah, it's unfortunate because it sits with people who have no idea and they also don't have the time or the energy to look into it themselves, which is why it probably sits at that 10%. Yep. Jeff Rom, who you were referring to before with his um, piece on Gen Z and, mm. and sustainability, mm. and he talks about how 2020 has changed marketing forever. Do you agree with him? I, I want to agree with him. Um, but then I'm, I'm an eternal optimist, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this job. Um, <laughs> I, um, I think a lot has changed, undoubtedly. I think the, the social agenda has come to the fore in a way that it, it never has done before, or at least not, sort of not in living memory. Um, I think a combination of events, but primarily... The, the fact that the pandemic has sort of reminded um, business and all of us of the importance of interconnectivity of people as, as human beings has just jumped on the radar screen as never before. And I think that's created an, an environment which has then enabled um, the sort of diversity and inclusion agenda to, to really take hold you know, the, the horrific case of, of George Floyd and all of uh, that stuff in, in, in the US, you know, why was it that particular case? I mean, sadly, you know, it was far from the first time something like that has happened in the US. Why was this the one that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were? And I think it's sort of all of those pieces, again, confluence of, of issues, it's never a single thing, um, has really pushed the social side up the radar screen which is terrible we've ended up there through those things, but good that at least those, those issues are, are now more visible. At the same time, on the environmental side of things, we're just living with this stuff day in, day out now. I mean, you guys had horrific fires. Mm. You know, wildfires are not new to your country at all. Greece is another one that's going through it right now. Greece and Italy, aren't they? Yeah, yeah exactly right. So in, in Europe, we've got them. You know, California now, the fire season is 24-7. Uh, literally around the year, you know, just the scale and ferocity of these things. Nearly 200 people died in floods in Germany and Belgium yeah. recently. So day in, day out now, we're living with these things, plus the fact that the pandemic probably, um, you know, came from, a, a, again, that, that sort of cramming together of environmental and social degradation in that particular region in, in China, um, assuming that is where it came from and not from a Chinese lab. Um, but the, you know, all of these things have definitely changed the way we, we look out. The, the, the question is going forward, are we going to learn lessons from this and change? Or as soon as this is, you know, behind us, or at least at a stage where we can just live with it as another um, sort of background virus, 
are we just all going to dash back to to, to normal? And, and and that's my fear, is that right now everybody's in a period of introspection and it's like, oh, this is all terrible. We need to do something about this. And then as things start to open up and move forward, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I will get around to doing that. But just right now, I just need to get my business going again. Mm. See, I, I always, um, I, I talk a lot about cancel culture and the, this generation that we're living in and that we're, we're growing up with right now or who are growing up with right now, um, I love to say there are no bullshit audience, right? They, they yeah. look at something and they're very happy to call it out and they're happy to call you out as an individual or an organization or a group. Um, they really don't care if they believe that you're doing something wrong they're very happy to tell you. And it's something that we've seen with Gen X previously. It's not anything new. Um, yeah. But I, I really do hope, to your point, that this continues on with these values that are now at the forefront because I think that's going to be a really important play in how people and businesses and companies move forward um, because the only way that they're going to keep doing it is if their audiences turn around and say they don't want to be a part of this organization or people don't want to work for them or you know they only want to do good in the world and that's really going to be the only way that we'll see change. 100% and I, th I think that that's a real powerful piece um, that the, the younger generations now are demanding that and actually we are seeing some of the you know the major industries struggling apparently to get to get the talent uh, to come and join them because they're like no I don't want to come and work for an, an oil major I don't want to come and work for, a, for an international bank yeah and I think that type of approach is is incredibly um important and i think very very helpful i i have my issues with the whole cancel culture thing oh we all do um, we all do you know I, <laughs> good uh I, I and you know i think we cannot change the past and nobody is perfect you know not not, not even the three of us on this call sorry four of us Pat. unfortunately um, you know, but you know it, it it's learning from the past and moving on and saying right we are we you know we realize that was wrong we're not going to do that again where it's appropriate making uh, reparation and all of that type of thing that's really good where it easily oversteps the mark in my view is, is that kind of like right we're now going to have absolutely nothing to do with that because it was once wrong back then mm. it's like you can't just if, if you just cancel the past completely we won't then learn from it yeah we need to have a balance and it also can be yeah, a form always. of bullying you know, the very thing that they're Absolutely. calling people out for, you know, they they end up doing themselves, which I find, you know, yeah, they're not really thinking about the bigger picture. Now, yeah, exactly. GW, you were a part of this big piece that, that came out. So what was your piece about? What did you call it, the environment today? Yeah, I know. I'm not very creative. Well, you should I'm have sorry. <laughs> when I looked at some of those other titles, I thought, oh my gosh, you can tell I'm the research queen and not anything else. You Listen, know? you've got me. I sit very close to you in the office. You could have just called me and said, you know, I need something, but that's fine. I just wanted to do something on my own for once. But <laughs> anyway, moving along. But we interviewed, uh, well, we did, we did an online survey. It was open, a lot of open-ended questions and things so that we got some beautiful, uh, rich results that came through across Australia, uh, South Africa, China, Germany, USA, and the UK. So over 20,000 people contributed. So that's actually a big Amazing. piece of mm. um, a big body of work. But what I, out of all of the insights, and a lot of it backed up a lot of the other es essays that sort of came through and a lot of the other uh, thought waves and everything that we've been talking about, but one of the big things for me, and it's been happening uh, for the last three surveys that we've done, so uh, over the last three years, is that Greenpeace is the only organisation in every country except for China that actually stands out as being the only organisation, company or brand that is actually actively involved in climate change that everybody recalls immediately. It's incredible. And yet they can all talk about brands and companies who are contributing to the problem. So they talk about Amazon, you know, they talk about Siemens, they talk about, you know, whatever brand, car company or, or bank or fuel or company and things like that, but they cannot name any of those companies that are actually doing good. 
Do you not find that fascinating? Yeah, wow. Wow, that's a huge insight. And, and companies are missing a real trick. Like we have Qantas Airlines over here who, mm. okay, they're contributing to pollution. We get that. They're, they're an airline. We understand that. But we all want to go on holiday and do whatever we want to do. But they actually have a brilliant, brilliant program called uh, Future Planet. And they actively are restoring uh, forestry. They're doing all sorts of things that other organisations actually buy into. Like they're doing a brilliant, brilliant job. But when someone goes on a flight and they go to tick the um, carbon, the neutral, carbon neutral yeah offset price, most people don't know what that goes to. Most people right. sit there and think, you know, it's just an extra dollar or whatever it is that Qantas wants from me. They don't actually yeah. sit there and say, well, actually, I could be contributing to good if I actually do this. But this is because... I just don't get it. This is because those that CSR level... That is such a minute element to a marketing plan or a media plan or their creative offering and services that they provide. People don't talk about it. And so if if people talked about it, if Qantas went out there, Qantas, hello, if you're listening to this, um, if Qantas went out there and said, hey, this is exactly what this $1.50 actually does for us and you're doing X, Y, Z and it's really supporting these initiatives that we're going out there and looking for and trying to support ourselves to be a better corporation moving forward. It would make such a big difference for people choosing to fly. Um, I know Virgin Airlines does a really oh, similar, yeah, they mushroom. do a really similar element there. So, um, But no one talks about it. The only reason I know about it is because I worked on them. You, you hit on a really important piece though there with it, it's the difference between CSR and embedded sustainability. Mm. And the problem is, historically, CSR has been an add-on cost center to the business run by you know two or three people in an office down the end of the corridor that everybody else avoids. Yeah. Uh, you know, usually females because that, that way mm. we can get up our, our quota. Uh, so you know it was just a, a way of, of spending some money to look good. Mm, too yeah. often and you know maybe there was true value behind it and all the rest of it but it's like you know if, you, if you're if you're cutting down rainforests over here to make your your key product and then you know you're giving twenty thousand dollars out the other end of the business to local primary schools and diversity projects or, or whatever it is you know 99 percent of your annual report would then talk about those csr initiatives yeah, whilst exactly. completely ignoring Mm. what was going on over here and i see you're right i mean a number of the airlines um you know ba here are also they've got some really great programs on what they're, they're trying to to change the fuels and um, there's this sustainable aviation fuel thing now they're all using or looking at um looking trying to push the electric uh and hydrogen powered plane technology forward quicker so that you know mm. we basically change technologies in planes so they're all doing these these things but I actually think they are caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place because they know the moment they step out, they're just going to get rocks lobbed at them. <laughs> and people go, well, yeah, but you know, today you're still, every time a plane takes off, you're burning a huge amount of fuel, which is true, although we're all guilty because we all like getting on airplanes and going on holiday. Um, but I think the, the, the breakthrough point, and again, this is where you know, your world can make such a difference, is... It's showing the difference between a CSR add-on, which is now seen as greenwashing, and truly changing the nature of your business and committing genuinely to that long-term change. So I see, you know, any airline that that came out and actually explained what that money was going to today and said, and by the way, the reason we're doing this is because right now we can't take a a jumbo jet or an A380 off the ground using batteries, whereas you know it's not going to last very long if we, if we do. But we're working with these folks in the background to do this. Here's our transitional pathway. Here's how we're changing things, and we're going to keep talking to you about how we're doing along that journey. I actually think that there's a huge win to be had there. Mm, and do you think yeah. that is the future of green brands? Yeah, I think absolutely. It's those who are genuinely living out that value mm. and that become recognized i mean i'm slightly surprised that sort of say a patagonia or somebody like that didn't pop up um no. in 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 your survey which is interesting um i mean you know i think again you know 
not necessarily perfect, but really doing a lot of good stuff, really trying very, very hard to live out uh, the founders' values. And I think that that is the future of, of green brands, is those who are genuine and will put their hands up and say, we know we're not perfect. We're working on the areas that we're not perfect. We can't change everything today. It's just not possible. But we're doing everything that we can to change these things as quickly as possible. Come with us on that journey. Help us on that journey. Give us your ideas. Tell us what you think. I think companies who do that will find um, you know, sticky consumers, they will, uh, you know, hopefully we stop being consumers. That's always a bad word. Uh, but hopefully they, you know, they'll find loyal staff who want to work and, and transform the company. I, th I think that's absolutely the way forward. The question is how, how do you do that and stay competitive in a world that is entirely driven by price? Exactly. Look, Anne Karumo, she wrote The Future of Green Brands. You know, we've got Elena uh, who addresses the role of management and sustainability. And then you've got Sarah Duncan who also talks about the triple bottom line being people, mm. planet and profits. They all connect those essays, don't they? They really do sort of tackle the business issues, you know, that we've all just been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, again, the, the, the people, planet, profit uh, mantra is is incredibly interesting um, you know that was a, a phrase coined by by John Elkington um, sort of one of the godfathers of sustainability here in the UK and a, a very good friend of future fit and interestingly he actually recalled that management idea on its 25th anniversary about two years ago now wow. uh, which was really interesting and and as he freely admits you know it was a bit of a sort of a slightly sort of tongue-in-cheek thing because you know how do you recall a, a management idea but the point the very serious point that he was trying to make was that it had been not really put into use in the way that he had really in, envisaged and it had become more of a sort of a trade-off thing rather than a transformational um, concept and he's uh, he, he's followed it up with a with a book of about a year ago now called green swans um pulling off uh, um, Nassim Tlaib's uh, black swans. And so it's the opposite of a black swan. A green swan is something that exponentially grows into a very good thing and creates exponential uh, outpourings of, of good. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a great idea. Very good book. Well, well, worth, uh, well worth a read, um, not least because there's an entire chapter dedicated to future fit in it, <laughs> uh, which was lovely. Um, but, you know, the, the, the point of, of all of this is, yeah, how, how do you go through that, that transformation and, and recognize that exponential change that's needed within the business that actually can lead to, to, to an explosion of, of good, of benefit to planet and society, and, how, you know, with that profit? And how do we, or how does management, um, you know, incubate that change within an organization, within their stakeholders? and go through that radical change process. So I think, you know, management is incredibly important. Leadership is incredibly important within this. As you, as you say, anybody within the organization can start to make those small changes, but ultimately if you're gonna radically transform your business, then that's gotta be led uh, by, the, by the leadership. So I think, you know, the, these essays are absolutely pointing at this critical uh, element and saying how do we flip things around how do we make those changes in a radically changing world where you know it's sort of the right thing to do you know it actually makes sense from a business perspective but that the pressures of day-to-day -day business on costs and others not making that journey is, is where the challenge lies I mean you know if it was straightforward everybody would be be doing it but if you stick by the regulations and you do things the way you should, just to take another example, and then there's another business who doesn't care about the regulations and does it whatever way they want, they will ultimately be cheaper. Mm. So, you, you know, you're sort of penalised for not following the rules. It's kind of the same in this game at the moment. Yeah, because I found like Garish Belachandran and uh, the, right through to Victoria Page, you know, their essays all kind of lead into each other as well because they're questioning people. And they're questioning, you know, what should go on. And and there's another one from Dr. Chris Arnold too, who talks about 
you know, the purpose of, you know, corporate purpose uh, into purpose driving marketing and, and really, you know, the advice he gives to marketers and things like that is, is well regarded. So I look at these and there's definitely a series of essays that are all contributing to each other and helping evolve things along. A hundred percent. And I think, uh, you know, Girish is, is talking a bit about, um, you know, sort of marrying brand with with good intentions. And then Chris and Victoria are sort of talking about purposeful um, business, purpose-driven market. I think that, you know, again, between them, they've really got to the nub of, of the issue, which is, you know, you can't just marry uh, a brand with good intentions. I think people will see through that. And that's good. Um, I think a lot of people are trying that right now. And I think a lot of people will be called out for it. And the, the, the point is, if we are to um, to actually make progress on all of these issues, on sustainable development goals and all of that type of stuff, then actually purpose-driven business, purposeful business, is what's going to get us where we need to be. And the purpose of business has to be more than just making money. And if the, if the purpose of your business is making just making profit, then... Actually, that's a really sad purpose. It is, actually. Right. The, the outcome of being a successful business, one of the outcomes should be profit. But if that's your sole purpose, actually, I kind of feel slightly sorry for you. You're probably also not going to go very far, right? You know, like if that's the one thing that you're looking for, money money motivates you, but it's never going to fulfill you or, you know, change the world or do anything that's really impactful. I think that's true. I think, and sadly, there's a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily agree with that or would still be trying to trying to prove that the opposite is the case <laughs> um but i think the you know the purpose of of business is is what is it you're bringing to planet and society why why does society want you to be successful and that really drives to the heart of, of the purpose of the entity and then ultimately uh if you do that well and you do that better than others then you know hopefully you will be financially successful and profitable as well so I, I think the key is 100% about helping leadership within businesses to say, what does it mean for us to be truly a purposeful business, living out our values and attracting uh, clients and stakeholders who align with those values and, and want us to succeed? That's what will take us in the right direction. And I think that was why in, in the arc of these uh, these essays, you know, we started at that like micro level of just get on with it and here are some basic ideas but of course what that's trying to do is to help people start to challenge and to push and ultimately to be having that conversation with the leadership I mean it, it would be fantastic if you know off the back of sort of some of this there's a group of of folks within an organization who one day are knocking on the door of the senior leaders and saying what is our purpose yeah yeah. And what a great conversation to kick off. And I think it is such a extensive and great body of work that's been produced. And I'm really proud. I'm not even a part of it, right? But I'm very proud that the agency that we work for and agencies that we are connected with around the world have really taken a stand to move forward and push through into this kind of new world or or this startless journey where they really do need to kick off with a bang. Um, and I think that this is such a powerful piece and it is something that really has started that movement in us, or I hope it has started that movement in us as well. Because I look at these leaders, their parents or their grandparents or their, you know, their aunties or uncles or children of, and, and surely they want a sustainable planet moving forward. You know, they don't want life just to end. You've got to think like that, don't you? And yeah. I, I hope like crazy that uh, some of this actually helps stop someone to to just to think if we can get one corporate to think globally and and move it forward that would be amazing and i think that that's the key point right the the planet within 15 years if we keep going on the trajectory we are on um is going to be at great risk of not sustaining human life yeah and that is within the generation of your your children definitely within your grandchildren we've seen through the pandemic how quickly things fall apart because we're now so interconnected. And I think people just don't realize we're that close to the tipping points. Mm. And we've got to move very, very, very quickly. And if we don't, we will hit those tipping points. And it's possible we can't pull it back from there. 
yeah. no matter how clever we think we are. And mm. and that was such a shocking thing for me even to hear because I my my partner David told me that um we were that close. He only told me a few weeks ago. And in someone who is so ingrained in in what we do, and I'm very much a big pusher for brands and and organizations to be very much ethically minded and, and purpose built, even I didn't know that that was how dangerously close we were. So I think as advertisers, we really have an opportunity, but more of an obligation to go out there and communicate that to audiences because we're kind of the guardians of what goes out there um especially from a creative perspective like you know i'm writing copy every day for different brands i should at least be thinking about how we can incorporate these messages into some daily communication that is out there with different audiences and uh you know social groups that we're talking to Absolutely. Look, I'm 100% behind you there, G. Martin, thank you so much for your time today. I know it was very early for you to get up and, and join us as a guest, but you have been amazing the way you have shared your knowledge with us. Uh, it's been thank you so much. brilliant. And I know it's, it's been a pleasure. Our audience will love this because you just make us sound so intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> they will. That's a, a, a great success then if we've, if we've done that. But no, it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure and um, delighted to have been your first international guest. Uh, look, look forward to connecting in person next time I can get out there. And as I say, let's, let's do one from, um, from the garden of the, the Hertfordshire countryside if, uh, when you're over here at some point. I love it. It's got to happen. <laughs> now, if you're listening at home and you want to get in touch with Martin Rich, we'll put his contact details in our bio as per usual. You can get in contact with GW via our very own Richard Turner or RT as we like to name him, much to his distaste. Um, we'll put his link in our bio too. So thank you so much, everyone. Again, thank you, Martin, for coming along uh, and stay safe out there, everyone. Let's do one good thing for the planet this week or today and really try and kick off ourselves. I think that's a really great way to sign off this uh, this podcast. I'm a printer, Martin, so tomorrow I'm going to pledge that I'm not going to print anything. There you go. Fantastic. There you go. So that's something Job for done. me. Look, keep safe, everybody. Protect yourself, your family, your planet. And thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye.